Okay. Welcome, welcome back from this very energizing break. My name is Pastor Susan, and it is so great to see the faces here in the room, but also to know that there are you all who are joining us online. So greetings, and if you're new, I would love to meet you, so please come find me. We are in the midst of a Lenten sermon series called Suffering Servant, Conquering King. And we are looking at two very um, balancing paradoxical parts of who Jesus is. Firstly, the one who puts himself in the place of a servant and also who is the king of the ultimate eternal kingdom. And it's very special to me because we are doing this with four other churches in the area. So Palo Alto, First Christian Church, Peninsula Bible Church, um, Lord's Grace Church in Mountain View, and University AME Zion Church. And um, it's been really great as the pastors of these churches have met together and studied the scripture together and have been listening to God to ask God how he may be speaking to our whole local community. I actually, being kind of the nerd that I am, went online and watched each of the sermons on the different um, churches, and it was so neat to see how God was speaking a lot of the same things, but in the different styles of a historically black church, an Asian American church, a more traditional church, a traditional evangelical church. Or, um, yeah, the Lord is speaking, and speaking particularly to our area, so it's just really been a wonderful thing. And I invite you to not only listen to the words I'm about to speak, but really listen to God. Listen to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and to us and to our, our whole area. All right, so last week we talked about Jesus' suffering. And in the passage today, we're going to especially look at the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. So here is the passage from Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took... Peter, James, and John with him, and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had arisen from the dead. I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation, perhaps in a community, where you're trucking along, getting to know people, you thought you knew different people, and then suddenly you go, whoa, who is this? Wait a minute, 
you are someone that I had no idea this was you. I want you to imagine for a second that you are new to this church. Some of you won't have to work very hard because you are new to this church. But if you're not, imagine with me that you're new to this church and you're kind of checking it out. Where are the bathrooms? You got the bagel. You got a cup of coffee. Maybe you chatted with someone. Maybe you're kind of rather new to this church. You've been here for a few weeks or a few months. You found yourself a small group, as we hope you would do. And maybe uh, Pastor Mike who supervises the small groups. Maybe he visited your small group, and you got to chat with him, and that's nice, and you started to get to know the pastors. You've chatted with Pastor Ron at the bagel table. But then one day, you come to realize that Pastor Ron, who is not here, by the way. I think he's watching online. Hi, Pastor Ron, if you're there. One day, you come to realize that Pastor Ron seems to have a secret service security detail who comes to church with him. One here in the cafetorium, one at the outdoor picnic tables. And then one week, you realize, oh, Pastor Mike had to suddenly give a sermon that was supposed to be happening, uh, being given by Pastor Ron, because that day, 45 minutes before church started, kind of when we're setting up the bagels and the live stream, there happened to be an FBI helicopter who touched down here on the basketball courts at JLS Middle School, and uh, they whisked him away to D.C. for a consultation with the president. And you find yourself asking some of the other people you know are are leaders in this church. You're like, "Um, I know Pastor Ron is part-time, but what is his other job? (laughs) And people can only tell you, well, I think he does something in tech or supply chain but I can't really tell you anymore. And I'm guessing you would take a step back and go, who is this guy, Pastor Ron? Who is that guy? By the way, this is a totally theoretical scenario. I want you to know that Ron actually works for a small supply chain startup, very normal. But I tell you this story because Peter, James, and John have been hanging out with Jesus. They've been going to lunch with him. They've you know, been fishing, talking to people, doing a few miracles, some teaching. They Sure, they've been traveling together. Maybe they've met each other's families, been to each other's homes, to each other's homes. Then one day, they go on a hike. They go up the mountains, and Jesus literally starts to glow. Okay, I just want you to imagine that. You're just doing life. And then at one point, at one day, Jesus starts to glow. Passage says that his clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And I'm guessing that this is a double shock because they have just hiked up a mountain, right? When you're hiking up a mountain, he should be looking just as dusty and scruffy as they are. Also, People don't glow. But now he's dazzling white. That word dazzling in the Greek means it could be interpreted as emitting light, which is actually amazing and crazy to me. So I ask you, what are you thinking if you are one of these disciples? What are you thinking when you see this beginning to happen? I'm thinking if I were one of the disciples, 
wait a minute, I just had lunch with this guy. I just walked up the mountain much faster than this guy. I've told this guy who my mother-in-law is and the issues I have with her. I've just been doing life with this guy. And now his clothes are dazzling white. What is happening in this situation? But then things get exponentially stranger. Verse 4 says, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. You all know who Elijah and Moses are? They are the bigwigs. They are the major historical figures of the people of Israel at this time. Elijah and Moses are the two top prophets of their whole history. They are the OGs of early Israel. Moses represents the law given to God's people through Moses himself, who himself went up, eh? Yeah, to get the Ten Commandments, right? And Elijah is the greatest of the prophets. And yes, Moses and Elijah lived hundreds of years before Jesus, so that leaves us with a question of, how do the disciples recognize them? Right? Do you ever wonder that? Like, how did you know? It was then. Perhaps it was by their clothes, or perhaps there were other signs, or maybe through overhearing the conversation with Jesus. But we're told uh, in this story in the Gospel of Mark is that they know. They acknowledge, they, they clearly know, they know exactly who these people are. And here they are. Jesus is being spotlighted. Jesus, their friend, their rabbi, their teacher, their buddy, is being spotlighted at the left and at the right with two of the most important people that they could possibly know in the whole history of Israel. Just hugely crazy. I am telling you that this would be even more shocking than if Pastor Ron being helicoptered off right before church to Washington, D.C. Or if the helicopter lands and suddenly, let's pick on Pastor Mike this time. Pastor Mike, he's over there meeting with two people on the JLS basketball courts. And you look hard and you go, that's George Washington and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with Pastor Mike. Or if you're into basketball, you're like, that's LeBron James and Michael Jordan on other side of Pastor Mike. And are they looking for advice on basketball? Or that's Taylor Swift and Rihanna and Beyonce <laughs> with Pastor Mike. What are they talking about? Or, depending on who you are and what impresses you, that's Mark, Mike Zucker, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Alan Turing right around here. And they're all surrounding him, seem to be asking him some questions about tech. You name the other historically significant figures, but it's like their presence is pointing to uh, that scene saying, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Mike. <laughs> what would it be like 
for Peter, James, and John to be in a situation like that where the top people of their minds are right there with Jesus Christ. I would have no idea how to respond to this situation. It would be a truly strange thing indeed. Well, when something shocking like this happens, they say that you usually go into fight or flight or freeze, right? When you're just faced with something that just whacks you over the head like that, usually people are like, or, or, am I right? I'm more of a freezer. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to say. But Peter, but Peter definitely is not Mr. Freeze. Am I right? Peter is Mr. Action. He's Mr. Talk first and figure it out later. Verses 5 and 6 says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Oh, man, it's so good. You're lucky that we're here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. What is going on for Peter here? Mr. Rush to Action. Some theologians suggest that Peter is echoing a really important uh, uh, time in uh, the culture at the, actually the culture of the Jews at that time, as well as now, called the Festival of the Booths, um, or Sukkah. The word shelter means sukkah, or in the plural, sukkot. The festival of the booths is detailed in Leviticus 23, 33 through 44. And every year, the Israelites build a sukkot, or booths, or temporary shelters to remind themselves in a live it out and act it out kind of way that when they experience the exodus, when they fled from Israel and uh, before they were in the promised land, They lived in shelters. They were living in temporary uh, housing or their temporary situations. So Peter, as a good Jewish person, would have built a sukkah and lived in it for a week every year. It was was like Christmas or it was a holiday they always experienced to, to remember this really significant thing that they'd gone through. It was a celebration or a spiritual retreat of sorts, a time to meet with God. So some theologians wonder, well, maybe Peter's like, what to do? And then he's like, I met with God when I do the booth thing. So maybe he's trying to worship God in whatever way uh, he knows how. Although the theme of Exodus and Sukkot don't really align with what's going on here, but maybe he's just like, I'm putting up a Christmas tree. I'm doing something. Or maybe Peter is trying to tell Jesus and Moses and Elijah to stay put and not disappear on them. Maybe he wants to hang on to them and capture the moment and not let the moment slip away. Kind of like taking a selfie for our modern time, New Testament version of a selfie. He's trying to capture it and be able to remember what, what was going on. Or maybe Peter's just thinking, I have to do something. I can't just stand here gawking like a dork. Whatever is happening for Peter, God seems to refocus him, right? 
So Peter's just like, ah! And God's like, oh, hold on. Let me give you some uh, attention. Let me give you some advice. There are only three recorded instances in the New Testament of people hearing God's audible voice. And this is one of them. Verse 7 says, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Peter, understandably, was focused on these three figures, three really important figures being supernaturally highlighted in this, in this moment. But God is the one who is directing and producing the scene, right? And God was not highlighting three, amen? God is highlighting one. God is not highlighting three, ultimately. He's highlighting Jesus. This is a scene to give background, to give context, to highlight who Jesus is. It's a scene that's saying Jesus is the most important. <clears throat> Jesus is the son of God whom he loves. <clears throat> God is literally speaking to everyone, saying, from a cloud, saying, Jesus is my son. And uh, he's not saying, you know, these are three of the people you should listen to or all three of these have a good thing to say. No, God says, listen to him. He doesn't say listen to them. He says, listen to him. Years ago, I went with a friend to the new church that she had been going to in LA, and this was a church called the Self-Realization Fellowship in Los Angeles, which is kind of a version of Hinduism. And at the front, there are five or six major photos or, um, well, not photos, portraits. And uh, on this side was a large picture of Jesus Christ. And you could tell it was him because he had the thorns around his head. And then, but there were other equally large pictures of other great teachers, including their founder who was in the middle. And as I talked to folks from this church after church, um, I shared that I was a Christian, and they were like, oh, Jesus, we love Jesus. He's one of the best. Um, I can't remember what I said, like, thank you, or I don't know. <laughs> but I just want to say that right here in the Bible, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say Jesus is one of the best. It's passage definitely and clearly says that Jesus is the Son of God, the most important one, the one we must listen to. This section is usually referred to as the transfiguration because the word transfigured appears in verse 2. It says that he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. Uh, prior to studying this passage years ago, I had no idea what transfigured or transfiguration means. Um, it means a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. 
This is what is happening uh, with his disciples, that Jesus is being highlighted, that he's being uh, transformed into a state where the disciples get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. It's like God lifts the lid a little bit, and they get to see, oh, Jesus is more than a buddy. Jesus is more than a teacher. Jesus is more than a rabbi. Jesus is a son of God in glory. Jesus is way more than I ever thought he was. You know, in most of the Bible, and especially in the book of Mark, Jesus is hidden. He is cloaked. Actually, in the book of Mark, it's a major theme where Jesus is constantly saying, do not tell the others. There's a theme of hiddenness for a purpose and for a time. And I think that's true for most of us, right? Most of us, even those of us who are ardently following Jesus, even to us, he is hidden. We so often forget the grandeur and the power of who Jesus is, amen? I always forget. Sometimes we're, we're swimming along in life and people are like, Jesus, he's like really important to Christianity, one of the main religions of the world. Jesus, his name is often used in swearing and cursing. That's who he is. Jesus, he's one of the great teachers of morality. Jesus, yeah, I know all about him. I grew up in church. People so often, we're, it, Jesus is hidden to us. But actually, we walk around with no idea of the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of Jesus. But every once in a while, God lifts the lid and we get to see who he really is. The reality is revealed to us that he is the beloved son of God the one to whom all spiritual leaders are yielded, the one that we should give all of our attention to. Every once in a while, God lifts the lid to a whole group of people, and they get to see Jesus in his glory. And the only rightful thing to do is to be in awe and worship. The only rightful thing to do is to be in awe and worship. There was, as many of us have heard, a palpable outpouring of the presence of God 24-7, a little over two weeks ago in um, Asbury, Kentucky. The students at Asbury University experienced, experienced something like this. And Asbury estimates that uh, between 50,000 and 70,000 people have come to worship and um, experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to <clears throat> read to you a few paragraphs from an article from The Atlantic, which is a national non-religious news source. Okay. All right, this is from The Atlantic. On February 8th, after a regularly scheduled chapel service on Asbury University's campus in Wilmer, Kentucky, a group of about 20 students lingered and began to worship and pray for one another. The chapel speaker that day had exhorted the students to 
become the love of God by experiencing the love of God, and closed with a prayer asking God to revive us by your love. According to the students, as they stayed and prayed, an unexplainable, surreal peace descended upon the room. As minutes stretched into hours, many students who had gone to class returned to the auditorium when they heard what was going on. They would eventually be joined by faculty, staff, and community members who trickled in to participate in worship and prayer. There has been a steady diet of proclamation, both standard preaching and personal testimonies, public confession, prayer, scripture reading, and singing. People I have spoken to who entered these spaces describe encountering a sweet presence, a deep peace, or the quiet, heavy presence of Jesus. A sense of awe prevails. It is, one, as one participant told me, as if heaven opened up. The event has gone viral online on TikTok. The hashtag, hashtag Asbury Revival has more than 100 million views and counting. Um, but its appeal is actually its physicality and simplicity. In a time of factionalism, celebrity culture, and performance, what's happening at Asbury is radically humble. Singing hymns and other religious songs, what Christians call worship, has been the central unifying element of this outpouring. There is no flashy light system, screens, or celebrity worship leaders. It's not even low production, it's no production. Adam Russell, a Kentucky pastor and director of the Vineyard USA Worship, observed on his podcast. The leaders on the ground have turned away people seeking to co-opt the event. Professional revivalists and Christian celebrities have been welcomed in, but they have not been offered platforms. Christian nationalists who arrive toting their flags have been allowed to enter, but told to leave their flags at the door. This is about Jesus, not America. Mm. When a speaker stands before the crowds, no introductions or last names are offered. I've watched world-class biblical scholars usher people to open seats, and the university's president introduce himself by saying, Hi, my name is Kevin. I work here at Asbury. These students have chosen hiddenness and simplicity, selfless hospitality, and a relentless hunger for Jesus. I know this gives me hope for the future, and it should give you hope as well. This is from the Atlantic. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, have you ever experienced the lifting of the veil? When, when God lifts the lid on the glory of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's, it doesn't have to be this big outpouring. I'm not talking about just revival. I'm talking about when you, you get to see something of God that is of power and goodness and love. Sometimes it's just in our hearts, our families. Sometimes it's at your workplace or at a park or in the life of a friend or in the trajectories of our lives or in a moment at church or at home. God lifts the veil and suddenly we experience God. It's usually unexpected, but it's absolutely when we're available to God, when we're available. I have a friend, and she was praying while she was picking up stuff at Target. And suddenly she felt this overwhelming sense 
of God's love for each person at Target. And she just stood there in the aisle, overwhelmed by the love of God for each person. It might be at a time in your life when you realize things are falling apart. I don't have anything to hold on to. And you reach out and try to hold on to God and you realize God's there. And the lid is lifted and you realize, I know him. I know that I know that God is there and true and good and strong and loving. We have this ministry called Soaking Prayer, um, which is one of those hidden ministries of our church. Basically, if you want some deeper healing prayer, you sign up, and the folks who are trained to do Soaking Prayer, about three or four of us will come and uh, meet with you and pray for you for about an hour and let the Holy Spirit guide us. But you know, and I'm not on that team right now, but when I used to be, there was nothing that drove me to worship, like doing soaking prayer, like praying for people. Because at the end of praying for one person for an hour, I just was like, Jesus is so good. And some of my soaking prayer folks would be like, hey, let's go out and get a pint. This is back when we had a lot of British people here, right? They'd be like, let's get a beer. And I'd be like, no. We have to stop and just talk about how good Jesus is. You guys, I just feel like worshiping because he's just so loving. I don't know. There was something about that just revealed the goodness of God to me, and I was driven to worship. I was talking to another friend of mine who had a relationship with her dad that was full of love and full of pain. Two weeks after she graduated from college, her father died of AIDS. And in the aftermath, she was going through the stuff in his um, desk drawer. And she found Xerox copies of two letters that her father had written to the pastor of their church that she grew up in. Her father had gone to church for most of his life, but pretty much that whole time, his um, posture was one of doubt and disappointment toward God. But in one of the letters, he wrote about how he had been a lifelong doubter and had, could never really cross over to um, identifying as a believer. But another letter, he wrote to the pastor about one time when he had come to church and experienced the inexplicable presence of God, and he didn't know what to do with it. This moment stayed with him for the rest of his life until he finally gave himself, he gave his life to God soon before passing away. When God lifts the lid, when God reveals himself, we don't always know why, we don't always know when, we rarely know when it's going to happen, we don't uh, understand how exactly it's going to work, but God does it. God does it even to those of us who've struggled for a long, long time? God will lift the veil and even in the midst of his hiddenness, reveal his glory to us. Jesus, even in our lives, is transfigured before us from just a guy in a religion to the man of glory, the king of our eternal destiny, 
one whose greatness we can barely see, much less understand. God lifts the veil of hiddenness, and we see Jesus for who he is, glorious. No other hero compares to Jesus. And when it happens, when it happens, I exhort you, brothers, sisters, don't be like Peter. Don't fall into a frenzy. Don't get distracted. Don't miss the moment because you're busy or frenetic or distracted. But just be there. Take it in and worship God. When we see that which is worthy of worship, we can do nothing but worship. Worship him. And just, I'm not talking singing. I'm just talking acknowledging. Singing is a great way, but not the only way, of worshiping God and say, great are you. Fabulous, fantastic, amazing. Second thing we are told that we ought to listen to him. God tells the disciples, listen to him. Don't be all like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Just listen. He's got a lot more to tell you in your life. And finally, if you want to see the glory of God, you've got to be available. You've got to be available to God. I could imagine Peter or James and John going, you know what? I don't really feel good. I'm not going to climb the hill today. I could, could Zacchaeus, could, could uh, Thomas, could, could John go with you, up with you to the mountain? I'm going to take this one out. I have errands to run today. I'm busy. So just, you know, other folks, you guys go ahead. I'll, I'll take the next one. No. When Jesus says, come up the mountain with me, you go up the mountain, right? When there's a place where no Jesus, where Jesus tends to show up, you go there. You make yourself available, am I right? You make yourself available. Because he might show up and you never know. You never know when he's going to show up in a way that makes it clear to you where you're at. You don't get to control that agenda. You don't know what the schedule is for God. Our job is to just be available. And I'm not going to tell you what that means for you, but I think you know. You know for you what it means to be available to God. I wish I had the words to tell you how worthy, how amazing, how glorious Jesus is. What God is putting in your heart right now is faith or the seeds of faith that you believe it, even if you can't see it right now. Even if all you can see is uh, the static or the struggle. Even if you just have all that and you're like, I can't see it being transfigured right now. I believe that God is putting seeds of faith in you that you know you want to see it. And when God reveals to you the glory of God, you want to be there. 
and you want to be listening, and you want to be available. Would you pray with me that that would be true? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for Jesus. You pointing to Jesus. Oh Lord, in this time of Lent, we repent of thinking that others are more important. We let go of our hero worship of all the others. They may be fine and loved, but they're not Jesus. Lord Jesus, be lifted up in our midst and show us, open our eyes to your glory, your goodness, your majesty, your power. And would you please, in your mercy, make it real to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.